This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Hello and welcome to episode 207 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Bridget Prue here with Scott McLaughlin. Brian is enjoying his week somewhere, I'm guessing, like Squam. I'm up here at Lake Winnipesaukee. Scott, unfortunately, has had no time off because free agency started July 1st. The Bruins were very busy in free agency. Uh, then rookie development camp started, and Scott's been all over the place interviewing so many people. Um, this podcast is special because Scott actually had a chance this week to talk to two of the Bruins' top prospects. So he had a chance to talk to Mason Lorai and Fabian Lysel. They both had some really interesting answers, in particular, some of the Lysel stuff, especially to do with his health, uh, is something to definitely stick around and listen to for this episode. Scott, I guess, where do you want to start? Rookie camp? Free agency? Because I wasn't on the last podcast. I was on vacation. So, I mean, there's just too much to talk about right now. We're it's midsummer, but everything yeah. started to happen. <laughs> I think, yeah, we definitely want to get your your free agent takes and Bertuzzi leaving, but might as well start, you know, you touched on Lysel. I think that's a good place to start because, uh, as you referenced, his health, his season ended with a concussion on a really dirty hit in the playoffs against Hartford. Um, Hartford's Adam Clendenning. It was late. It was blindside to the head. And Lysel suffered a concussion and has had, like, a sore neck, like, lingering issue. Um, which is actually what held him out of the first day of development camp uh, as he was flying in, his neck stiffened up and Bruins just decided to play it like super safe. Um, He got back on the ice on Tuesday, but has been in a no contact Jersey where we are recording this Thursday morning. So uh, there's still two more sessions to go on Thursday and Friday, but yeah, he said he admitted like it, threw off his off-season training. He couldn't really go full speed right from the start. He had to focus on the recovery. And now he's starting to ramp up, and he said he felt a lot better. Like, he's still getting treatment on his neck every morning, but feels good when he's out on the ice. So that's good to hear. Um, and, yeah, him and Mason Lorai, obviously Bruins top two prospects and two guys who could make a push for the team. I think, you know, if, if you had to bet right now, you'd probably – bet on both of them starting the year in Providence, but there are opportunities there, especially up front for Lysel and for other young forwards. Like, you know, yeah, the Bruins just signed, you know, some veteran forwards, but they're not really anyone, you know, like Patrick Brown isn't going to, I made this point last, but like Patrick Brown isn't going to stand in someone's way if a young kid comes along and beats him out in training camp. So the opportunities are there. And for Lysel, like, you know, there could be opportunities even on second or third line. So if he can earn and push for that kind of spot, uh, it could be there for him. So, yeah, so we talked we talked about his concussion. We talked about, you know, trying to make that push to make the team, things he's working on, how he thought his first pro season went, which he, he wasn't especially happy with the second half. And, you know, we'll kind of get into, into why, but he did – you know, have a drop off and, and most notably at world juniors had zero points in seven games of Sweden. So uh, he yeah. talked about that and how he's trying to, you know, kind of put that behind him. Um, and then on, on Lori, 
again talked about him trying to make a push and uh how he you know he spent a second season at ohio state and then signed with providence at the very end of the year and got got into eight games in the ahl so talked about you know kind of what that experience was like what he learned what he's still learning um you know that his work with adam mcquade who he said has been has been a big help for him so yeah adam lots McQuaid of good stuff is someone there. that Adam McQuaid is someone that we see a lot. Like he's very hands-on and involved in rookie development. I'm not sure how much in recruitment, but I see him at Hockey East games, uh, the Hockey East tournament. I've seen him college hockey stuff uh, at the Bruins. So he's very hands-on and and some people might not know that, but behind the scenes, he's really watching his defensemen, even at the, you know, at the pro level, even in Boston, and making assessments about like, okay, where, where do they fall in the depth chart? Do I have someone in Providence that, you know, ready and and things like that? Yeah. And he does a lot of traveling during the season um, to see these kids and meet with them in person. You know, he'll go out to Ohio state for a weekend and spend that time with Laura. He'll go up to Quebec to talk to a Frederick Brunet or, you know, whoever it is, like he's, he's all over. So um yeah, definitely hands-on in that role. And I think, like, actually, I think this role really suits him. But I guess another piece of news to note that happened this week is uh, John Gruden, who was the Bruins' defense coach last year, left to become head coach of the Toronto Marlies in the AHL, which, you know, great for him. Like, that's a good job. Head, I think anyone will take head coach over assistant. Um, but it does leave the Bruins with an opening on their staff. And my first thought was, like, Adam McQuaid would probably be a great defense coach, but I also think he's so good in this current role and seems to enjoy it so much that I, I wonder if he just stays there and they go with someone else for, for defense. Chara. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, get the, get the gang back together. Cause Lucha just coming back, but and we still don't know about Bergeron, but um, I kid, I don't think Chara's coming back to coach, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's McQuaid's role. And Laura seems to really be learning a lot from him, from what he said. You'll, you'll be able to hear what he, he said about working with him. Um, and so Scott, rookie development wise, uh, you've been there for the last few days. I, I haven't been there yet. Obviously I'm in New Hampshire right now, but when I was, when I, my very first year out of college, my very first rookie development camp that I covered, I remember there were some guys that were just like complete standouts um, and, and guys that you maybe didn't know going into development camp were going to, uh, you know, really stand out and make a push to be on Boston. And the year that I was there it was Charlie McAvoy's year that he his first rookie development camp um, and Brennan Carlo uh, was another standout guy that the year that very first year that I was covering um this was for a different outlet, but covering the Bruins. Um, who so far for you has, even if it's just their skating, right? Like some of these guys have just this incredible elite skating ability, whether it just be like smoothness or speed. Um, anybody in any facet so far standing out to you? I mean, Laura is, is an obvious one, but I guess, you know, people probably want to hear that too. Like he has looked better than, pretty much everyone else on the ice um, just looks really confident at all times. Like seems 
very efficient in his movements. Like you'll watch drills where other guys seem to really have to like work hard to keep up or stay in the play or whatever. And Laura just seems to be in like such good position that it like at times it almost looks effortless for him where it's like, Oh yeah. Like uh, whatever. I'm here. I go. I, I'll poke check this away. Like no problem. Um, break up this rush. So he's looked really good um, both defending and obviously offensively, which has always been his strength and, you know, stood out in college. So you expect it to stand out against kids um, at this level. He is one of the older guys at this camp uh, at 22 years old. So um, he's definitely stood out. I think Matthew Potra, their second round pick from last year has looked really good. Um, stick handling his passing. He's even had some really good finishes. Like he, he, he was second in the OHL in assists last year. So automatically his playmaking jumps out just looking even just at the stats, but he said some, a couple of really good finishes around the net and showed off a pretty good shot that, you know, maybe doesn't show up as much in terms of like goal totals. So he's been pretty impressive. Um, trying out of like the brand new draftees, I think Beckett Hendrickson has looked pretty good. Um, there's definitely some skill there. And we talked to Danielle Marmer after Wednesday's practice, who, you know, works with Adam McQuaid in the player development department. And she highlighted him as well. Um, when she was asked about this draft class. So those are a few just kind of off top of mind. Frederick Brunet, I think has looked pretty good. Um, both offensively and again, defensively, which his, he's another guy who kind of like Laura, where it's like the defensive side of his game is a part that, you know, needs work. Like the offense has been there. He's got to work on defending, but he's looked pretty good in this camp too. Yeah. And I, I, the Bruins have been posting some videos coming out of camp and I noticed the one where Laura is doing like the skating drills, like weaving and, and whatnot, just, I'm guessing that's at the beginning of the day before they go into scrimmages and stuff. Um, and he just looks so smooth. Um, so he, from what I can even tell, just the small sample of videos that I've seen come out, uh, he looks like a very smooth skater. Um, and he seems to answer your questions with a lot of confidence. Um, and you know, that you, you do want a defenseman in particular coming into the NHL and feeling sure of themselves and sure of their ability to defend at that level. Otherwise you're, you know, you're getting beat or you're not, you know, if you're not strong enough on pucks, you're, you're not looking like you're looking like a rookie. You're not looking like a full NHL, uh, type guy yet. But the, the problem for him is, I mean, we know Connor Clifton, leaves, but Shattenkirk comes in. Um, in terms of where, where the Bruins lost depth, defense isn't really the biggest issue for them. They still have five of their six defensemen from last year. They add Shattenkirk uh, on, he was a league minimum, was he not? Uh, One million. One million. Or just over a million. It was like 1.05 million. Yeah, so really close to minimum. Uh, and He's a veteran that I think they want in the room, especially if Bergeron is gone. So it is going to be harder for him to shoot his way into Boston um, rather than spend another year in Providence. Well, and, and for, for Laura, it's really a first year in Providence. I mean, he only yeah. got eight games there. So I think that'll be a good thing no matter what. And, you know, if there's always injuries on defense, so 
there will be an opportunity at some point. Like maybe he's in position to be the first call up and yeah. he potentially takes a spot and runs with it that way. But yeah, I, th- I expect him to start in Providence and I think that's totally fine. Like get him some pro AHL experience beyond just a small sample size last year that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And, and uh, one last thing I'll mention from development camp, just in case like people haven't been following closely or whatever, and are wondering about, you know, some names I didn't mention guys who aren't there, Georgie Merkulov, Johnny Beecher, Mark McLaughlin. Like basically the idea is like, they've kind of aged out of this. They've, you know, they're a little bit on the older side as prospects. They've already played pro hockey. So um, I think the Bruins view with guys like that is usually there's not as much of a need for them to be at something like this. Yeah. And by the way, about Laura, he's a pretty big guy. Like he's yeah NHL size, let's say. He's 6'4 and 209. And, you know, so he's probably a little bit further along in the development in terms of putting on muscle, putting on weight, being that like NHL body, uh, I guess you could say. Whereas Lysel, as you'll hear, um, really feels like he has some work to do in that category. Um, Scott, if you want to just touch on that a little bit, because I feel like a lot of the Lysel stuff that you focused on and that he answered for us was to do with his training um, and, you know, his strength and, and trying to improve that in the off season. Yeah. It's, it's a huge focus for him because there were times in Providence where he still could get knocked off pucks or, you know, not really hold up like down low. And like, he, he likes going to the net front and, and being down low to his credit. He is like not afraid to go to those areas, but you've got to be effective when you go there and be able to hold up against, bigger, stronger defensemen. So he's working on that. And, you know, again, like going back to the world juniors in the second half discussion, he was very honest about like, he just felt like he got worn down. Like the, the length of the season, the amount of games like took its toll. So that's, that doesn't get any easier in the NHL. The season doesn't get any shorter. So, you know, that's going to be huge for him to basically to strengthen up and, and the conditioning to be able to, endure a full professional season um you know laura you're right like has the size i think there's still strength that can be added there as well or at least how to better use it in terms of like d zone battles and and things like that so yeah yes further along but like still work even for him to do in that department yeah for sure i think that that's probably what if you talk to any of those guys they would tell you they're working on because that's, I mean, that's stuff that you really can work on in the off season. And, and sometimes, you know, you don't have the ability to do it as much during the regular season because you're working on all these other things. Um, and you're probably wanting to focus on resting in between games and things like that. So in the off season, um, you know, working on things like to me, and this, this is completely fixable if you're willing to work hard enough, the conditioning of it. I feel like if he, if he works on the conditioning in the summer, um, with his natural skills and his natural speed, be, but being able to not wear down and have his energy drain, like he says uh, was happening to him. Uh, if you work on that conditioning and make that your focus in the summertime, and by the time the season starts, you know, you're looking at uh, not just a good first four months, right? You're, you're being able to hold on, hopefully, 
um, and we have that consistency throughout the season. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, like you'll even hear, even if you put on that strength, muscle, weight in the off season, like being able to keep it on or keep most of it on, because you hear a lot about guys in the AHL or young professionals who will put on weight in the off season and then lose it during the season. Like pretty famously a couple of years ago when we were all talking about like Jack Stanika bulking up and looking jacked over, you know, jacked Stanika over the summer. <laughs> like he put on 15 pounds and it was all muscle. And then I remember like just kind of quietly reading a story in like February or, or something of that season. And it might've been from Mark Diver or someone else who covered Providence at the time. And it was like, he had lost 15 pounds during the year. So it's like, okay, well that that's all gone. Like either mm -hmm. by design because he, you know, couldn't really play at that weight or because it's just hard to like keep that all that on during, during the season, you're, you're playing so much, you're working out so much that mm -hmm. it's, you know, I wish I had this problem, but for those guys, like in season, it's easier to lose weight than, than to, to put it on. So. Yeah, it is, especially in hockey. And my brother's a trainer and like, I, I eat too much popcorn to lose weight. during. Yeah, the season. you do Scott, but I know you're never going to change. So uh, <laughs> this is going to be your weight. Uh, but, so like my brother is a trainer and even putting on 15 pounds of muscle when, when you're already small, right? Like these guys are already in really good shape. So it requires eating a lot and, uh, and a lot of protein and a lot of lifting to put on 15 pounds like that. So, um, and obviously with all of the cardio that guys do just naturally, playing hockey that way can fall off if you're not nutritionally making sure you eat so many calories like he has a friend that just can't put on weight because his body just metabolizes everything too fast and he just he would need to eat an absurd amount of calories and then if you overshoot it then you're slower like it's it's hard to do uh, it's kind of a fine balance that that reminds me like I haven't written about this yet but we also talked to uh, Christopher Pelosi the Bruins he was actually the Bruins first pick this year in the third round. And, uh, and he was talking about how like he clearly has to put on weight. Like he, like he actually looks like almost skinny. So like he definitely needs it. And he, and he admitted that, but he said like his off season program, he's like, yeah, I have to eat. Like, even when I'm not hungry, he's like, I usually just like don't eat a lot. And he's like, I just have to eat. Like, I just have to, he's like, you know, I'm like almost never hungry, but it's just, all right, it's time to eat. It's time to do more. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like that, and th that's it why you have it's, to... it's a new thing for those guys because yeah. really for most of them, you know, getting drafted at 18, it's like, yes, they've been doing training, you know, they come up through whatever program they're at and it's, it's all hockey focused, but for the most part, like a lot of those guys can just get by on skill to this point. And it's like, you don't have to worry about, or at least not as much about all the off ice stuff and, you know, taking care of your body and all that. It's like, you're just skilled enough and so much better than everyone else that it doesn't really matter what you do. Yeah. And, and also part of the process is usually it's a bulk and then a cut. So like while you're bulking, it's fine if you put on a little bit of extra weight and really just work out more. And then, then you cut after, but you probably don't want to be, bulking necessarily during the season uh, i wouldn't think uh but 
yeah, you'd probably want to bulk in the summer, start cutting down and then seeing, um, you know, kind of go into a maintenance phase um, during the, during the season. It's hard. It's, it, they all have like great nutritionists, like the Bruins organization has people around helping with each guy's individual programs of what they should be eating, what diets they're on, like monitoring their weight, monitoring their muscle, all that kind of stuff. So they get a lot of help, but for, like you're saying, for a lot of them might be the first time they're even hearing of some of this stuff. So yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's a good thing for them to go into camp and not just work on the skills part of it, but learn from the nutritionists and different things like that. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to give, give your take on what the Bruins have done so far uh, since, you know, since free agency opened on Saturday? Yeah. Wow. So I was working Saturday um, doing the Red Sox and it was just coming down the line. And I actually was hopping on with Arcan a few times because news was breaking while Arcan was doing the show. And so I was there when they announced or when it, the news broke that Lucci was coming back, um, which was kind of like the the big name one just in Boston because of the history here with Lucci. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't hate that. I don't, I don't see an issue with it if he's going to be a fourth line guy. Um, and he's once again, what the Bruins needed to do was fill out roster spots. So they were able to go and find these guys for, you know, million dollar, just slightly above a million dollar contracts. Um, they get Van Riemsdyk, who I always, he was a Bruins killer for a while. Um, and I've always liked his game. He's a bigger guy, played at UNH, so did all of his brothers. Um, he, so he has some local ties. He was really high draft pick, wasn't he? He was, he was, yeah, he was high. number three overall. Yeah, he was. And uh, he has this great net front or was he even number Was he even number two? Was it? Kane and then Van Riemsdyk? I think so, because I think that was the first time ever that two American-born players were picked one and two. Yeah, I think you're... Yeah, it was. It was number two. Yeah, yeah. and so so he was... You know, he's obviously a little bit... I don't want to say past his prime, but, like, that sounds insulting. But, um, but you know... But he is. He, I mean, if we're, if we're being honest. I know. I'm just trying to not be insulting, because I, I would hate if someone said that about me. But... um. <laughs> So we're, we're in our, that's the entire skate pot team is in our prime. I, I of think, of course, of course, peak form always in our prime. <laughs> we're, we're doing great. Um, but so he's a really good net front guy. Um, he has a good sense on when to go to the net. He's, you know, great at screening the net cause he's pretty big. Um, he, you know, theoretically that could help you on the power play if you really needed him to, Obviously, if you're missing Krejci and Bergeron, the power play is going to go right into the blender because you're going to need to switch up units. You need to find new centers for your power play units in that case, and you, you're you going to have a completely different look to your power plays this year. So Van Riemsdijk could possibly be someone that goes and fills in maybe on the second unit. Um, depends how they want to use them. And, you know, maybe he causes enough havoc out in front of the net. They put him on the first unit because it, it helps open up Guys like Pasternak, I could see that being a thing. Don't mind that move at all. Don't think the Lucci one is bad either just because of the price and because of 
how much people love him here. And also I'd be lying if I told you that I didn't want to see him bite some people. So <laughs> for us, for entertainment purposes, I'm cool with it. I uh, come great job getting Lucci back. Um, the, so then Morgan geeky, I want to get your opinion on this actually, because you had a chance to talk to him uh, earlier this week. Did you not Scott? And um, but he yeah. spoke to the media, right? Um, and just impressions on him. He's, he's a center. He's young. Uh, he's 24, right? Um, yeah. He turns 25 later this month. Later okay. in July. What an old man. Just kidding. Um, so he's a young center. He's more than likely going to be your fourth line center. Um, but I, I think he's going to be on the third line. I think it's either going to really? be him or Frederick at center and, and the other on the wing. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, that, that'd be even better, I guess, uh, if you were able to, well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, he could only be on the third line because you're dealing with a bad center situation. But if, you know, if you can get, if you need someone to get more minutes, um, you know, when you want to throw them on the third line, um, then I guess that's good to have them there. But, uh, anyway, I wanted to ask you what you thought of geeky and especially after talking to him. Yeah, I think he's looking forward to hopefully, you know, getting more minutes, a little bit more of an opportunity. He's so he's been mostly a fourth liner in the NHL and has been on two really deep teams, Carolina and then Seattle. And I, you know, I was listening to to our state or um, who was I talking to? Maybe it was someone on our station, but made the point of like. So Geeky said or, or Sweeney said about Geeky that he you know he was buried he was like playing 10 minutes a night on a good seattle team we think you can have more opportunity here and actually it was, it was andy hart i was on fitzy and hart and they yeah and and andy was like wait so that means you're not as good as seattle and it's like well right now no you're you're not as deep as the kraken were last year but the kraken were a really deep team they were one and two with the bruins all year in five on five scoring like that was a good offense. So being on a fourth line there, like, isn't, that's not a bad thing. That was a deep team. Um, so I do think he's someone who could, you know, take advantage of more opportunity. His rate scoring, I made this point on the last pod, was very good. Like, he's, you know, he was top 10 in assists per 60 minutes at five on five. Um, I think he was like top 50 in points per 60 minutes at five on five. So, there are some encouraging signs there, but obviously if you move up in the lineup, you're also facing tougher competition. You're going to face more second and third lines than fourth lines. So, you know, you'll see how, see how he does, but like, there's definitely skill there. Um, he has a good playmaker. He has a good shot. He four checks, which obviously we know is, you know, an area of emphasis given that that was so decisive against Florida and even Carolina the year before. So, you know, he's, he seemed, I will say like he, he's not as an interview, he's, you know, a little quieter, shorter mm -hmm. answers. Um, especially considering like the other people we talked to, uh, Lucci, Shattenkirk, Van Riemsdyk are all veterans who are like really good with the media. So, um, you know, selfishly from my perspective, like, Hey, at least we, we got some guys who are going to be good interviews. Um, yeah, because like Nick Felino would give you the longest best interview. And Taylor, Taylor Hall. Hall. Taylor yeah. Hall was great. 
Um, really thoughtful answers um, pretty much every time we talk to him and very accountable person. But <laughs> that actually kind of gets us to the next thing we didn't talk about, which uh, I mean, you and Brian had a chance to. This whole Tyler Bertuzzi saga, um, it to me, more than anything, I I feel frustrated because I feel like the two sides could have come to a deal and it would have been beneficial for both sides. Um, but something must have happened in terms of timeline that, you know, the Bruins probably said, we need you to let us know before we go into free agency because we have all these gaps to fill. We need to know how much money we have. We need to, like, we need to focus on that once we, once July 1st hits. So if you want to sign with us, this is the deal, but you got to do it before. And I think he said, no, I want to test free agency and goes out, doesn't get probably what he wants. And he gets a one-year deal in Toronto. Um, and Scott, I'm based on reporting, he wanted obviously longer than a one-year deal. He had a really good end of the season. He, you know, he gambled on himself, I guess, when he went to the free market and, and turns out people maybe were more hesitant about the injury history or just, uh, didn't see him as a fit, didn't have the cap space. There just wasn't as many takers, I assume, as he was expecting. And he ends up with having to take whatever the best deal was left on the table, which apparently was with Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think he probably had better offers in longer term offers, but they were from non-contenders. They were from situations he didn't want to go to. And what's surprising to me is just like that him and his agent weren't, you know, didn't really seem to be like seriously considering this as a possibility where it's like everyone knew the free agent market was going to suck. Like the salary cap only went up by a million dollars. So the only teams that had any money to spend were bad ones. And <laughs> some of them did, you know, you'd see like Ratko Gudis get overpaid and, you know, make 4 million a year with Anaheim. I, you know, Nick Felino, like, love him, but obviously he got overpaid by Chicago because they could afford to do it. Like, it, it's it's not an overpay for them because they got to spend money somewhere. So, like, you might as well, you know, get a veteran or whatever. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm sure there were, there was, you know, an Arizona or an Anaheim out there willing to throw money at Bertuzzi, but, like, okay, congrats, you're going to spend five years rebuilding. You know, yeah. Kevin Shanker just talked about this coming to Boston when we talked to him on Wednesday. Like, he won the cup with Tampa in 2020, parlayed that into a nice payday with Anaheim on a three year contract, but spent three years on a, you know, three years in his 30s on a rebuilding team that didn't even sniff the playoffs. And he was yeah. like, yeah, like that was enough of that. I wanted to go to a better team. Um, so, yeah, I, like, Ultimately, I think Bertuzzi ended up in a good situation. He's gonna, probably going to play on a line with Austin Matthews um, yeah. and then cash in next summer. But I don't understand like why they weren't. Because it does seem like they told Sweeney, like we're not interested in a short-term deal. We're going to get something long-term. And it's like, how could they have possibly thought like that was so guaranteed? Um, you know, and then obviously now the big criticism of Sweeney that you hear from some people is, why didn't he wait a day? Like, why didn't he wait to circle back and see what, see what happened? Which I think there's some fairness to that. Like, 
he abs- he could have. Obviously, he decided on, you know, a different path and signed the guys he wanted to sign. I don't think, you know, the other thing you hear with this is like, was anyone really knocking down the door for Van Riemsdyk and Shattenkirk and Lucic? And it's like, well, yeah, Lucic, I think you could have waited on. Like, I think he wanted to sign with Boston no matter what and would have waited just to get a deal done. The other guys, I don't know that it's such a given that they still would have been there. Like, I think, I think Van, I know some people think Van Riesling and Shattenkirk are washed up. I don't. I, I think they're still pretty good players. So it's not like you're paying them top dollar. It's absolutely possible that they had other one year, $1 million offers sitting there on Saturday and could have just chose someone else. Could have told the Bruins, you know, hey, yeah, I'm interested. But if you're telling me, no, we're going to wait out Tyler Bertuzzi first. Well, I'm not going to wait that out. I'm going to go sign with someone else. Also, uh, if yeah. they were to have pulled off the Tyler Bertuzzi thing, they would have like still plenty of gaps to fill <laughs> with less money to fill it. Um, and it would have it would have caused stress to the point where maybe you do have to see Allmark go out the door. So, you know, you're you don't keep. Bertuzzi, but you probably would have had to give up someone else to alleviate the cap space. Maybe that's when we see Allmark get dealt. So maybe the judgment at the end of the day too was, well, maybe we should just keep the goalies we have, use the money that we have left instead of going towards Bertuzzi to fill in all these gaps, especially if they know Bergeron and Krejci are not coming back. Um, So they have these holes to fill and, you know, they kind of have to bargain shop with it because they were already strapped in the first place. So would it have been nice for Bertuzzi to stick around and stay? Did he fit well in Boston? Yeah, he did. Um, they're going to have to make do without him. Does, you know, how much do you think Scott, this changes, uh, you know, maybe their ceiling for, for a play for the playoffs. Like, even if we're just talking about a regular season ceiling um, in terms of, you know, where they finish one through eight in the conference. Yeah, I mean, so I haven't done like a super deep dive on every other team yet, but like just in my mind looking at this team, I see a team that should still be a playoff team, but is closer to, it's closer to eight than one. Like yeah. could be a wild card team, might not be top three in the division. I, you know, Brian and I were talking about this. Like I think, I think Toronto and Florida on paper looked better right now. Um, Tampa lost some key players too. I think like, them and the Bruins are probably kind of right there in like a similar spot as having lost a lot, but still have some really good players that are going to, you know, you would think allow you to keep your head above water. So um, I sort of see them in like that three, four in the division somewhere five through eight in the conference area. Um, And yeah, I do think their ceiling would have been higher with Bertuzzi, but to your point, like you probably have to move someone else out. You still have to fill, you still have to fill out your whole roster. So whether that's with eight hundred thousand, no, we just won't have a fourth line this year, yeah. guys. We just so, like, don't what, need whether one. that's with eight hundred thousand dollar AHL guys or one million dollar Lucic and Patrick Brown. Like you still need players in those spots. You can't roll out nine forwards and four defensemen on opening night. So. Come on, Scott. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so the other thing on that, though, and I'm repeating myself a little from the last podcast, but because it's been such a talking point this week, especially since, like, regular hosts came back on Wednesday after the holiday, 
I am of the opinion that I would not have salary dumped another player. I think you had to suck it up and do it with Taylor Hall because you had to do it with someone. Someone had to be a pure salary dump just so you could fill out a roster. I think it would be really bad business to take, you know, a, a real lesser than deal for Linus Elmark or even mm-hmm. for Matt Grizzly. And I think Sweeney has definitely explored the market for both of those guys and for other players and has found there just aren't offers out there that he feels even approach fair value. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. And I am fine with hanging on to those players in that case, because I think it becomes a really bad business to basically give away the reigning Vezina trophy winner. Yeah. But it seems like there are people who feel like they should have done that in order to keep Rattuzzi. I wouldn't like, if that's the choice for me is like salary dumping the Vezina trophy winning Allmark to keep Bertuzzi or keeping Allmark and just letting Bertuzzi go and not, you know, being held hostage by other teams. I am fine with keeping Allmark in that situation. And you'll find a way to replace Bertuzzi, who I think is a good player, but like not a superstar, not, you know, a franchise type player, um, a good player. And, and someone I wish they'd kept. I, I don't like losing them, but I'm also not moving mountains and dumping contracts left and right to do it. And I also feel like he it's not a certainty that he, you know, has plays as well for, you know, a consistent amount of the season as he did in the playoffs. And I do feel like there was still parts of his game that I didn't like. Um, and so at missing out on him, you know, yes, you're missing out on a good player, but maybe in the long run it works out. You didn't have maybe, you know, having the, the goalie duo, maybe Swayman gets hurt. Maybe one of them gets hurt and you're like, wow, I'm really glad we had both of them again this year. Um, so it, I think that it could end up working out. Um, obviously you don't, I think they wanted to keep Bertuzzi, but um, at the end of the day, you know, you, we're talking about the team having to give, get rid of someone else, maybe all Mark. And we had a source that thought that Grizzly was going to be moved on the second day of free agency that didn't happen. No, so the I wonder, second day of the draft, like, second day of the, sorry, yeah. second day of the draft, um, maybe for a pick, um, or as part of a deal that included picks that didn't happen. Um, but that morning, somebody that I know had, who would know, <laughs> uh, at least have some sense had mentioned that they were looking to move Grizzly that day. Um, doesn't happen. Grizzly stays. I'm cool with that too. I like Grizzly as a player. I've, been on record saying that before um and their defense isn't as tampered with as what they had to do up front yeah uh by the way don don sweeney accused me of starting the grizzly rumors i don't know if you heard that but no what you well i i i asked him about like you know there's been rumors around grizzly like just what is the organizational relationship like with him right now um and Sweeney was like, well, I didn't start the rumors. And he was like, maybe you guys should look in the mirror. Yeah, well. I was like, I don't th- I don't think I started them either. I mean, no, I, but... don't have the, I don't have the best memory, but I don't think it was me that started the Grizzly. Well, rumors. going back, I believe Greg Hill had one of the first like reports of Grizzly. Yeah. Anyway, um, we do have sources that say these things. That's why we ask the questions. But um yeah, no, I don't think it was you, Scott. Uh, 
he didn't start the fire this time, but <laughs> yeah. All right. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about before we let everybody enjoy the two interviews that you did with Laura and Lysel? No, I got to run and get to a meeting anyway. So All right. time. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we will send you off to Scott's interviews. All right, I'm here with Bruins prospect Fabian Lysel on the Skate Podcast. Fabian, thank you for taking a few minutes. Uh, you've been on the ice now for, for two days here at development camp. How have you felt and just, you know, what are you looking to get out of this week? Um, no, I think it's, uh, I felt okay. Uh, it's a really good start to get going. Obviously, we got two practices today, so uh, right now it's just focused on, like, uh, getting used to being out there again, it's been a while, so uh, yeah, yeah, it feels pretty good. Yeah, you mentioned it's been a while. I know your season ended with that concussion, and you know that really affected your off season. Just how are you feeling in terms of the recovery from that and starting to ramp back up again? Uh, no, I feel I feel way better um, right now. Um, we put a lot of like uh, work with my neck because uh, a lot of like the uh, the stiffness uh, is still locked there. So uh, release that every morning, and after that, I feel I feel pretty good. So um, it's going in the right direction, and I'm I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. I feel like I can uh, almost uh, do 100% like I want to. Was that scary for you? And you know, anytime you're dealing with neck head injury. Yeah, I mean, I have I have got uh, one before, but this this one was maybe a little bit more uh, major. Um, I mean, this time I. Obviously had some effects like off the ice too, uh, with headaches and irritation and all that stuff. So um, that's something I haven't really had before, but um, you know, uh, you learn from that and uh, you definitely don't want to put yourself in those situations again, even though obviously my situation was a pretty dirty hit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that aside, how did you feel about your, your first professional season in, in Providence this past year? Uh, Okay, uh, I mean a lot of up and downs last four months. Um, I touched on that yesterday too. I think uh, you know playing pro hockey, it's a lot of like uh, being able to uh, switch on and off, and that's something uh, I haven't really done before for 80, 80 or ninety games or whatever how many I played last year. Um, I was pretty happy with the first four months, so um, you know um, it's a good uh, learning experience, and uh, I think uh, coming into next year, I. I know more things that I can take advantage of uh, coming into next year. You mentioned you know you had gotten off to a really strong start down there. Is was that the big, the main thing in the second half? Was just how long the season is and doing it over and over again, you know, for that many games. Yeah, well, for me, I think, um, like I said, I think it's very like, for me at least, it was very hard to like cool down after a game and so and. You know, after a while, that gets your energy like less and less for a long period of time when you've been going for that long. And I, you know, um, my my season last year, I mean, I had a lot of things going on. I played the tournament in summer and then training camp and then the season started and then I played the tournament again in January and then it was on it again after that and playoffs. So it was very hectic and I haven't been like that busy playing ever. And so... Um, it's all about like you know finding your ways to uh, to to cool off when you when you can and then be on it when you can because if you don't then uh, it's gonna be a little bit like last year where maybe my energy like drains out after a while so um, it's all about finding tools to uh, you know to reset. You mentioned the the two world juniors and I know 
the second one in January individually didn't go how you wanted. Just what, what kind of happened there, and, and how did you handle, you know, trying to bounce back from that? Yeah, well, to be honest, what happened was a little bit like I just touched on. I was, like, pretty burnt out at that time. Um, already by that time, I was, like, I felt my... It was like I couldn't recover uh, after like a practice or a game and all that. So that put a lot of like energy that, you know, when I was out there playing, I felt exhausted. Um, so, um, yeah, that's that's might be like a reason why it did like it went. But, you know, I'm not going to sit there and like, um, you know, put other things like in front of that. I'm still like I'm still a pro and uh, I'm not. I was not happy about the outcome of that tournament, but at the same time, it's a good, you know, learning experience. And sometimes you're gonna have setbacks, and it's all about like bouncing back from those. So um, you you learn from it too. How have you learned to try to bounce back from that and, and you know not let not stay down too long, be able to kind of pick yourself back up? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all about like what I just said. Um, I think putting putting things in the past and then. Uh, looking for the future and always trying to get better and enjoy it at the same time. Uh, you know, I feel like when I when I'm at my best, I'm really enjoying it out there, and you know, I'm happy to to be at the rink every day. So um, that's really my focus right now, and that's what I'm trying to you know aim for every day. And when I when I do that, I know I, I can play pretty good hockey. So yeah. Now that you're starting to ramp up this summer, what kind of things are you focusing on? You know, both on and off the ice. Um, well, it's. <laughs> You're always trying to do. It's hard to really know like what exactly you want to focus on because there's so many things you you want to get better at. You you want to get better at everything. But um, I think for me, uh, it's been first you know first month of the off season was more like recover from that concussion and the season you know and I really do that properly. And now it's all about like getting stronger. I want to get a little bit heavier too. And and the conditioning part, I think it's going to be huge for me next year. Uh, so I really want to be in good shape to be able to, uh, you know, maintain my playing style throughout the games and, you know, for all that for a long period of time. Um, so that's that's where I'm putting my most of my work on both on and off the ice. How do you balance, you know, getting stronger? I mean, putting on some some muscle while still, you know, keeping your speed and making sure it's not taking away from that. Uh, yeah, well, I think you put it like into. Um, small pockets i don't think you can do everything at once i think the the first stage of the summer you kind of like try to put more on the strength and you know build build muscle um spectrum of of your workouts and then you know as the summer goes on you're getting closer to the to the um season you're trying to like add the speed and and all that stuff to it so it kind of like goes in together um so you know obviously like the first month Month, month and a half now it's been more of like the strength and, and building muscle and you know as the as the summer goes on here it's going to be more of like uh, using that and with power too so you can you know use it out there boston has obviously had a lot of turnover this this off season from last year's team do you kind of allow yourself to look ahead at you know the possibility of, of fighting for a roster spot yeah, I mean, of course, that's that's always. I think that should be everybody's goal coming into to camp. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm no different. I, I really want to be on that team, but um, it's uh, it's a great organization and something you really really want to be a part of. So um, I think for me and for everybody else, it's just like uh, about uh, you know finding your own ways and and working hard uh, and uh, just uh, you know trust the process uh, and then. Uh, uh, yeah, um, but I'm really looking forward to uh, to uh, come September. 
what have you learned going through training camps and preseasons in the past here? Yeah, well, um, you know, coming into the, your first rounds, it it's, could be a little bit overwhelming, uh, to be honest, because you're not really used to that. You know, it's a lot of attention and a lot of new guys. You know, when you're young too, you're from a different country. So there's a lot of things uh, that happen around you that you, you maybe not know beforehand. And, you know, people can tell you, but you really have to, like, experience that. So... For me, I think that was that was maybe my first two ones, but now uh, I think I'm better at like keeping that aside and being staying it, being stay, being able to like you know focus on myself more and and um, and uh, yeah, I do the right things there. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Are there any players you you know really watch closely to try to model your game after or take things from from their game, put it into yours? Uh, yeah, well, there's so many, <laughs> obviously. Uh, ton of good players out there that I like to watch. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of good guys out there, uh, you know, superstars that's good at um, different things. Um, you know, obviously, Pastor, Marchand, all those guys. Um, I like watching a guy like Barcel. I think he has a good puck control and likes to, to keep the puck on his stick. So there's definitely a lot of guys to, to model your game after. I want to ask you about a comparison that your general manager back in Vancouver made where he had a quote saying that you're skating he compared to Connor McDavid and Pavel Bure. <laughs> One, did you see that quote and what did you think of that? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that, but I don't know if I agree with him on, on that one, to be honest with you. Uh, those guys are pretty fast and uh, I don't think I'm... I'll try to work to it, but uh, definitely not that fast. <laughs> okay. Um, Alright, I'd like to... Uh, wrap these up with non-hockey questions so yeah you've now been around boston providence area a little bit i'm curious what uh what's your favorite thing you've done around here non-hockey um well there's a lot of things to do uh, i've been to a couple of basketball games they're pretty cool um they got a, a couple of good really good restaurants in uh north end there uh little italy so i've been there too uh providence uh uh I don't know about Prov. They got a, they got a pretty good restaurant. I can't name the, the name of it right now, but uh, we were there probably like 50 times last year. So I'll have to look that up and the, I'll let you know. Federal Hill, a little bit like the North End. Uh, you know, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, smaller, but yeah. it's the same vibe. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Fabian. Good luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. We're here with Bruins defense prospect Mason Lorai on the Skate Podcast. Mason, uh, how have the first two days of development camp gone for you? It's been good. It's been a good time. Obviously, you know, seeing all the seeing all the guys again and uh, getting out there on the ice with with everybody here. So I'm enjoying it as best I can. You were you've been here before, but last year you didn't get to skate. Mm-hmm. What do you look to get out of a week like this? Yeah, I think always just you know trying to take everything I can um, just to learn and, and add to my game. Just little little tips from from everybody here whether it's other guys or guys like Quater um, just learn as much as I can and have a good time doing it you mentioned Adam McQuaid and I know you've been in touch with him a lot uh, yeah. over the last few years since he got drafted what has that relationship been like and what kind of things you know have you learned from him yeah Quater's been unbelievable to work with um, you know obviously he played the game for a long time he had a lot of success so being able to work with somebody like that's super beneficial um um, there's a lot of things from, from his game that made him so good that, you know, like if I can add to my game, um, it'll just make me that much better. Um, he notices so many little things 
just from watching. I mean, that's what being a true pro is. Like, he knows you know, everything that you need to do to be able to play in this league and just try to listen as much as I can to him and take into account what he has to say and add it to my game. What does the rest of your summer look like? What kinds of things are, are you working on? Yeah, um, just strength, speed. Pretty much, you know, it's kind of every summer on, on repeat, just trying to get, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. Um, work on stuff on the ice, stay sharp with, with skills and stuff, and then, you know, be stronger to, to defend harder and shoot harder and, you know, obviously play in a bigger, faster league. He's staying around here. You going back home at some point? I've been here uh, for like a month, and I'm gonna go back home after camp for a little bit, get to the lake a little bit, and then uh, get back here in August to ramp up for camp in September. So you turned pro after this past season at Ohio State, and you got I think it was eight games in Providence. Yep. What was that experience like getting you, your first taste of pro hockey? Yeah, it was, it was you know nice to just get the experience. That was the biggest thing. Um, because experience eventually is what you know helps elevate your game, and being able to go there and just just see and learn and um, just really live that pro lifestyle is was beneficial. Just going into next season. What went into the decision to come out of Ohio State and turn pro? You know, did you just know it was time, or did you have to kind of think about it a little bit after the season? Uh, I felt it was time. I mean, I had a great two years. I uh, really loved it there. Obviously, it's it's always a tough decision to to leave school just because you know, I, I loved it so much and playing with those guys. Um, had a lot of fun there, good two years, but, I mean, my dream's always been to play in the NHL, and you know, I thought it was time to make that jump and, you know, start playing pro and see what happens. How, did, how do you think your game evolved while you are at Ohio State, and I guess specifically this, this past season, your second year there? I think just, uh, I mean, taking on a role where I was, like, the go-to guy in, in pretty much every situation and you know obviously the biggest thing was just working on defending and that was always you know ever since like coming out of high school going to play junior uh two years in junior two years at school like I've always just you know had to continue working on you know just defending hard and, and shutting down the rush and having a good stick um so probably that's just the biggest stuff that I focused on with my coaches there do you feel like you've made big strides as a defender and, and what's kind of, you know, still left to do to be ready for the next level? Yeah, I think, I've, I mean, definitely have made, made big strides from whatever, four years ago and uh, even in the past, whatever, six months. But just kind of keep working on all those same, same things, having a good stick, closing hard. Uh, a lot of the stuff we had out there today, like that's stuff I need to work on to be able to be successful at the next level. We had talked to you on Monday after the first day of, of camp, and you said, you know, your goal is to, to make a push, to, you know, try to earn your way onto the big club. What do you think will go into that? You know, what do you need to do to, to have a chance there? Yeah, just kind of everything that we've talked about already, like, you know, having a, continuing to have a good summer, um, just work on, you know, be, being harder to play against and, and shutting, shutting guys down at the next level is obviously, you know, tougher, so... Got to be able to do that and use my my skill when I can and try and make an impact that way too. Do you look at like Bruins depth chart at all, or you know, guys you might have to beat out if that's going to happen, or is it just hey, focus on on me and what I have to do? Yeah, I'm not too worried about that stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, whatever happens, happens, and obviously there's you know a lot of great players in college, pro, minor pro, like 
they're everywhere. So you're, you're going to have to beat out somebody. And uh, I think the, the thing for me is I just focus on improving my own game every day. Uh, what, what players do you think uh, you model your game after, you know, guys you watch, try to take things from? Mm, I like to watch a lot of the, like, just younger younger stars in the league, um, how they play. One of my favorites probably Shea Theodore, watching him play. Just won a cup, so that's, that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> um, watching some of your, your college games, obviously it's clear, you know, you like having the puck in your stick. You're active, especially in the offensive zone. Like to get in deep, is there an adjustment when it comes to playing pro hockey? You know, knowing when you can do that or having the confidence to do that. Yeah, obviously, right, right away, you're not gonna have that freedom, no matter what the what the jump is. You're not gonna have the freedom to kind of do that. You got to get a feel for it. Um, I mean, everything starts with defending, so that's kind of why that's the main focus and. Uh, you know, when, when opportunities in the offensive zone present themselves, like that's when you know I can I can use my skill set and try to make plays that way. Uh, obviously, when you got to Providence, you were reunited with Georgie Merkulov there, mm-hmm. former teammate at Ohio State, and you know he had obviously a terrific first pro season, leading the team in scoring. I'm sure you're not all that surprised by by his success, but what do you see from him that's you know allowed him to? have that kind of impact right away in the AHL? I mean, one, he works so hard. I mean, he, he, he definitely, he works in silence. He's always, he loves hockey, and he's just always doing stuff to improve himself. Um, and that's why, like, you watch him, and he, he's so skilled, so smart. Um, and then I think he really, you know, bought into to playing a, more of a two-way game this year, which allowed him to get more ice time and, and take advantage of that. And obviously he did with, you know, filling up the score sheet a little bit. Yeah, obviously you're viewed as a, as a top prospect now. Obviously there was a time when you got passed over in the draft for a year and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe weren't on as many people's radars. How did that kind of influence you or, or impact you, um, you know, not getting drafted the first year you were eligible? Yeah, I think, it's, I mean, can't really worry too much about that stuff. All that uh, It's not in your control, so it, just showing up every day and, stay in the course and just work as hard as you can to improve your game. Everybody has different paths. So I think you know, I'm a good example of that. And uh, there's a ton of good examples. I mean, everywhere, like Marsha Sol just won the Conn Smythe and played 300 games in the minors, didn't get drafted. Like there's, there's so many different paths that I was never, never worried about it. So just keep working hard every day and improve my game. Uh, I know it's only been two days as we're recording this now of development mm-hmm. camp, but anyone you're going up against uh, stand out to you that, you know, it's kind of really caught your attention? I mean, everyone here is all good. Like, everyone's here for a reason. Um, I can't really pick one guy right now. We've had one practice, but uh, like like I said, everyone's so good. You'll be able to watch all week, and I'm sure you'll see that the same thing. All right, so I like to end these with non-hockey question, and since we are recording this on the Fourth of July, need to know best Fourth of July food. Watermelon. What? Oh, interesting. Going fruit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What, what What are you having with it? What's What's on your plate? Cheeseburger, brat. Um. Brat. There's a potato salad, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely all Wisconsin stuff. Um, 
Yeah, that's probably it right there. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.